Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, Brad. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you, Brian, Matt, Matt. Hey, everybody. How's hey, everybody? Hello. Jim is here. Jim is here all the way from Maine. He, he's, are you sitting in a 7-Eleven somewhere or something? No, I've got a, I've got a library. Good deal. Good deal. The I just idea. want to make sure I'm understanding like the hypothesis. Is the hypothesis just Jesus Christ the Messiah who was crucified and, and risen? Is that the hypothesis or am I missing that completely? I, what I, is that? Hypothesis, you know, the hypothesis of Scripture is the gospel. Which is Jesus the Christ. Messiah, and, then, the, and then you can expand on Messiah. that. Well, first and foremost, the hypothesis is Christ, and he is the authority and within all areas of life, within the life of the church, within the book of the Bible, within the tradition, whatever you want to say that is, he is the head of all of those three realms. And, of course, the tradition and scripture are not a separate thing in the early church. When they're talking about the tradition, they're talking about the preaching of the apostles. Now, this is not going to be the same thing that will later be made, you know, like Roman Catholicism. But what they, what the early church meant, what you know, Ignatius and what the idea even in the New Testament is that what has been handed down, even Paul. Well, isn't that the the scriptures? That's what's handed down. The gospel has been handed down. The I, preaching I guess, of the not, apostles. Okay, so it's not. We're not. When we're saying what's handed down, we're not saying the Hebrew scriptures. That's not what we're saying. No, we're saying the gospel, and the gospel is understood in conjunction with the scriptures. So Paul is always going to write according to the scriptures. But of course, that only makes sense once you have the gospel. But you don't understand those two things separately. The preaching of the apostles does not float free of the scriptures. Correct. But the scriptures don't float free of the the gospel, the gospel, or the, or the or the preaching of the apostles, right? Because the one is going to be interpreted. In other words, we're going to interpret Christ through the scriptures. That means, you know, obviously the Hebrew scriptures, but the idioms, the you know, the Moses, the the prophets, or I, the Isaac, or, or however we read it, Isaac right, going right. taking up the the wood you know and, and i did when i meant apostolic succession maybe that's where i is that i meant not that the laying of hands is you know these people put in a, a position of authority that they have power i'm saying that they're the ones who have been entrusted that true message and that's what's being carried over from generation to generation not in the sense of uh orthodox or catholic apostolic succession but the only the, if they don't have the gospel there's nothing to hand down unless you you know some people believe in apostolic succession eastern orthodox roman catholic mm -hmm. even the episcopalians i just happen not to believe in it i don't well think neither am i or i just disqualify myself i mean we don't i don't have a chain of command going all the way back to apostle paul and even it's 
kind of silly because even going back to their records, there's there's missing links. But the I guess when we say tradition, are we saying apostolic succession in, in which they are passing on the Gospels from one generation to another? Yeah, just don't use the apostolic succession as a very specific meaning. In other words, that's an office. Oh, the office of Peter is passed on, you know, and the Pope now mm -hmm. occupies that office. There is the passing on, there is the apostolic preaching, and the, the apostles are certainly authoritative. But my point about the apostles is, yeah, but they're not authoritative because they're apostles. No, they're authoritative, authoritative because the of the gospel. And even the apostles challenge, you know, Paul challenges Peter when yeah, Peter slips up and is not working according to the apostolic understanding tradition so maybe you should just get rid of that vocabulary at least that's my understanding of in other words apostolic succession is sounds like an office a, a status of authority that is passed on some people believe that so so to say it better we can say tradition with is the apostolic preaching and that's the gospel that they're giving from one to another and that's what the tradition is yeah. The handing of that. Growing up in the Catholic community, you know, that's if, if I preached on apostolic succession or, you know, if I even use lo that loaded word, they're going to be like, huh, are we Catholic? Big C? I'm like, no, we we believe in what, uh, what Jude said, that the faith was once passed down once and for all. And what is that? And we don't have to say it's a laying of hands. We can say it's the apostolic preaching. It's the gospel. That's it's the gospel. What's handed down. Yeah, it's the... And that's the Christ. That's what's handed down. It may appear to be a little bit ambiguous, and that's okay, because we say, well, the gospel is Christ, and Christ, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to spell that out. And in other words, we, we're not referencing a creed. We're saying, well, it's the, it's the person of Christ, and these are the things that can be extrapolated from it. I think the early church was, was very flexible in who was in and who was out. By that, I do not mean to say they certainly had people they said were heretics. Yeah, know, the, like the, the Arianans and the Docetists yeah. and those yeah. who denied Christ's fleshly existence, you know, or or, right. or just you have to obtain this higher wisdom in order to be enlightened and be with God. Yeah. You know, this made me think of the Restoration Movement. Uh, Barton W. Stone didn't believe in the Trinity. The idea of Campbell, it was a unity movement. I don't think, I think that was more like the early church. What, when we're talking about the rule of faith, nobody has written down, here's, the, here's exactly what you have to believe. They're talking about this understanding that is a shared understanding, and certainly you can challenge that understanding by saying Christ did not come in the flesh, or that Christ mm -hmm. was not you know, denying the de deity of Christ. The institution... We can't ever point to say that this institution is the full church or the full body of Christ. You know, I'm going back to the, the certain sects of Christianity saying we possess the gospel exclusively. You know, they can kick people out of their churches. Episcopalian, he can take communion with me, but he can't. He, my communion is not legitimate for him. That's typical of denominations. So there's a mainline churches, but that's typical of all the denominations. In other words, they're going to say, you've got to do this. 
to be part of our group. The Christian church was trying to get away from that. Unfortunately, I think we fell into some legalism ourselves. But I think the early church, there was a great deal more flexibility, and there was not the tendency to say, you're in and you're out. As long as you hold to the gospel or the rule of faith, you're living like Christ. I would, I, I probably would argue that early Christians cared more about application than doctrine. And not saying to divorce the two, but to believe on the right things and yet live like a heretic or live like an atheist would be more problematic than having all your doctrines correct. And, and I'm not saying that our churches should not preach on doctrine, but ultimately, if we don't live like Christ, we're missing the whole gospel. I just think the early church cared more, and that's why we see pacifism within the first three centuries, because they understood understood that being Christ is more important, and not saying to diminish doctrine and truth, but it's more essential to live as the body than just to know the body analytically. I think that's it, yeah, yeah. Maybe what I'm about to say, you're going to say, ah, I already got all that. But I found this section and Bear's take on it quite intriguing. And the thing that I found uh, that he's doing, you know, a lot of people will talk about Irenaeus's recapitulation. But what they're not noticing about recapitulation, certainly they're saying, oh, this is his soteriology. But, of course, what we're seeing is, well, this is actually his hermeneutic. That is his soteriology. That is his hermeneutic. In other words, we've been talking about the rule of faith, and I know that in this chapter and in this section, you know, that Irenaeus is going to talk about the rule of faith, but I think that we can just run these things that the rule of faith is the gospel, and so the doctrine of recapitulation is a soteriology, is a hermeneutic, and it is a continuation of the focus on the rule of faith, which we buy the rule of faith, the apostolic preaching before Irenaeus. There's not a lot of people before Irenaeus. And so what he means by recapitulation is this is a summing up of the gospel, but it's also a, a summing up of all things. That is, you're going to have to get the literary aspect to it to understand the saving work. And the saving work is a correct reading of Scripture. I think that is just a beautiful understanding for reading Scripture. Bear's point, we cannot separate recapitulation from its literary application. That's good, Paul. That plays, that plays directly into what we've been talking about with uh, literal and spiritual interpretation, right? That there's a recapitulation of our hermeneutic. Uh, r- r- run it down for me. I-, I may be missing the point. Well, I mean, isn't that what we're saying, that the Christian reading is a recapitulation of how we approach the, the text, the biblical text, that, that's connected with the saving, with the coming of Christ, with the gospel, uh, gives us a, a recapitulated, uh, rehabilitated reading method of of reading and understanding and seeing uh, Christ in the scriptures. Uh, yes, exactly. The, the recapitulation is what Christ does. It's a hermeneutic. It's an exegesis. It's an exegesis of Christ. 
So the apostolic preaching or the presentation of Christ in the gospel according to the scriptures is the recapitulation that, that saves. Uh, I don't know that you're going to ever find a neater package than that. And it, it's salvific uh, precisely because it uh, it's how we meet Christ in the text. That's it. And so, you know, we, we've, we've raised the question, do you meet Christ in Scripture? Well, that would be a ridiculous question. Certainly for Irenaeus, I think a ridiculous question for the apostle. They say, where else would you meet him? Because the apostolic preaching is an understanding of Christ according to the scriptures. In other words, we cannot, and you understand this is going to happen later, you know, that we're going to get a complete separation between the rule of faith and scripture, as if the one can float off. You know, there was never that concept, I think, in the early church. By the time we get to higher critical understanding, they're going to begin to talk about the gospel as something separate from Scripture. This is bare. For Irenaeus, the relationship, this relationship between Scripture and gospel established by the preaching of the cross is precisely that described by the term recapitulation. The identity of Jesus Christ as the Word is based, and it is a literary term, it's based in the literary dynamics of the relationship between Scripture and Gospel. The, the Apostles' reflection upon Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures, directs attention back to Scripture to reflect yet further on the identity of Christ. So our question, you know, our key question, who, who do you say that I am? Well, this is the way that you answer that question. Just as gospel, as recapitulation of Scripture, sums up the meaning of Scripture, the recapitulation also sums up the cosmic economy of salvation. Mm-hmm. And that all, like, like all people, Adam, Israel, and all people are grafted back into God again. Yeah, I would state it a little differently because... I think that what's going to become clear, it's a little bit there with Irenaeus. By the time we get to origin, it's going to be even more so. They're going to begin to talk about not a return to something that was lost, but that Christ is the fulfillment of Adam. He is the fulfillment of creation. He is what was always part of God's plan for creation. I, I think as Protestants, or maybe just a lot of people, talk. They, we tend to think of a return to Eden. But it was always the case that uh, it, we may have lost something in Eden, but what is given to us in Christ is much more than what it was lost in, in Eden. That is, what, what is given to us in Christ is what was God's always God's plan for creation. Yeah, we're not going back to Adam. We're not going back to Israel. We're we're just looking forward to Christ and all the answers. Right, and so and there is then the true Adam, the true Moses. You know, so that in a sense, Christ precedes Adam in mm-hmm. God's plan. That this was always God's plan. And so for Irenaeus, the term first of all, recapitulation. It's a rhetor- rhetorical or a literary term. And it's a compendium. You know, all of this language that's in Bear, by the way, he's just taking that right out of Irenaeus. Yeah. 
it's a compendium, it's a summary, it is a, a resume, epitome. Yes, thank you. I think you could just say it is the gospel. And the idea is that, as Irenaeus writes, salvation is not through the prolixity of the law. That is, there's an abundance of words in the law. The idea is that there a briefer and unified summary has greater impact. And then he quotes Isaiah saying, a word brief and short in righteousness, a short word will God make in the whole world. In other words, uh, that he's finding in Isaiah, I think, a reference to the gospel. And he uses Paul as the precedent in this understanding. And I know this was in Bear, and Bear again is just taking this directly from Irenaeus that Irenaeus uses the example, you know, that the whole law is summed up in the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Therefore, a short word has God made on the earth. The gospel is the concise word of recapitulation, apart from which scripture is obscure. It's a mystery. It's the treasure hidden in a field. And so the recapitulation is the epitome, the resume. I think it re recapitulation is to, all of those are synonyms, that it makes visible what was formerly invisible. It makes comprehensible what was formerly incomprehensible. Actually, what this reminded me of, going, I'm going backward here, but when we come to Maximus, he's going to set up these absolute differences and talk about these absolute differences being brought together in Christ, not because there is some resolution between God and man, between flesh and spirit, but in the person of Christ, these differences reside. And so we encounter God in Christ because he can hold together these absolute differences. I, I think we're on a straight line through Irenaeus to Origen. Origen may, you know, Origen gets pretty wild, but I think there is a, a logic that Maximus is going to talk about, a Christological understanding. And this is something greater than, you know, this is not Platonic, this is not Aristotelian, though they're going to use Plato and Aristotle, but they're going to say, nonetheless, this, is, this goes beyond that. And I think we're already seeing this Christological understanding in Irenaeus, and that is then what's brought together in Christ. Okay, help me out with what is the format, the structure, the shape, or the uh, announcement of the recapitulation, other than using that word? I think you could just say the summing up, a restatement, it is a brief Somebody else. It is an epitome. Go ahead. I kept thinking about cliff notes. And these are these are cliff notes apart from which you don't understand the play or the, the book. Uh, I like uh, what, what about um, transfiguration? Transfiguration, right? Transformation, uh, lifting, healing. Am I off track if I say it's the uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ? Is that according to the scriptures is. Is that off the mark? No, it's not off the mark. Matt and Jim both, it is all those things. What we're describing in the first instance is just something that's literary. Okay. Irenaeus is using a literary trope or word and oh, okay. that you would find in Greek 
philosophical thought or in rhetoric, uh, speech and rhetoric. But isn't that what we're saying, though, that, that in Christ, that the, let's call it, you know, say the Old Testament scriptures are being recapitulated or transfigured or healed or lifted or completed in Christ. And, and that and that's a saving work. Or am I um, getting us, getting you off kilter? I'm not sure that those are synonyms, because if, if we talk about com- Christ as completing, I understand. Our tendency is to talk about the Old Testament. Oh, it predicts stuff, and there's the prophetic stuff, and then then we get Jesus, and He fulfills the Scripture. And so, the Old Testament, the Scriptures are incomplete, and then Jesus comes along and completes them. I know that's a way that we may have talked and thought, but I, I don't think that's the way that Irenaeus is thinking or the apostles are thinking. In other words, are the scriptures inadequate to give us the gospel? No. No. I don't think so. In other words, they're completely adequate. And of course, we are just talking about the Hebrew scriptures here. I know what you're all thinking. Well, wait a minute. But of course, that's the thing they're saying. Yeah, but you have to have the gospel before the scriptures are unveiled. And so they're right. They are incomplete. They are incomplete without Christ. Well, Christ is there in the scriptures, but he's veiled. He's veiled. And so the gospel unveils the Christ who, who, who was always there. Right. Okay. And that's right. a different way of talking. In other words, what we're, what we're not doing, we can't separate the gospel from scripture, nor can we se- separate scripture from gospel. We're not equating the two. But we're saying the two are very much interlocked. Is Christ the lifting up? Well, I think what the way with Irenaeus would say, I, I think he does use the word unveiling, but they're going to say the death and resurrection of Christ was always there. Yeah, and that uh, is echoed in Revelation where it says that Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Right. So there's a scriptural reference. Um, but I think recapitulation, as I understand it, and you keep saying it, it's the same thing whether it's Genesis or Revelation or anything in between declaring the fact that this cross has completed all things that were there before even the creation was started. Creation is, yes, yes. It's another way of the cross is the is the center of it. It's stated differently, but it's the same reality. It's the same thing. It's, Paul, let me ask you. Let me ask you a different question. I don't mean to cut you off, Brad. I was just, Good. I think I'm, I think I'm following. I, is Christ there though, in the way that you're describing in a literal way of interpreting the old Testament apart from a sort of a spiritual Christological hermeneutic? There is no scripture apart from the gospel. Right. Gotcha. And there is no gotcha. gospel. And I know that sounds a little strange, but I really think that's what, I, I, I may have said it too strong, but I think the idea is, well, this unveiling constitutes Scripture, really, as Scripture. It was always, you know, the Hebrew Scriptures, but it was veiled. And the difference we're, we're making here, the what is at stake in this is the unity of who God is, of who Christ is, and what salvation is. Because remember what Irenaeus is up and against, the Marcionites. And the Marcionites are doing what we all do. Well, they say there's the Old Testament, and boy, God sure seems different there. And there's the New Testament, and Marcion says, yeah, I know, that's because there's two gods. 
And what Irenaeus is saying, and I think what they're all saying, is the unity of Scripture is dependent upon a unified understanding of God in the gospel. And so we can't separate out the ages. The You know, even Irenaeus is going to talk about dispensations, and he, he'll talk that way, but he's going to say, yes, but all of them are about Christ. All of the ages are about Christ. You know, he talks about the child, but actually when he's talking about the child, he's also talking about the human, the, the ages of history. This may be a little jarring for us, but I think once we get it, we're entering into the thought world of Irenaeus. So that mm -hmm. reading the gospel as recapitulation, it's a literary technique, but of course it's not simply that. There is, as he says, this is Irenaeus, there is one God, the Father, and one Christ Jesus, who is coming throughout the whole economy, recapitulating all things in himself. Are there two economies in Scripture? I'm afraid that many Christians today would say yes. There's the old economy, and now there's the new economy. But the way that Irenaeus is answering this is that there is one singular economy, there's one singular subject, and even that there's one author of all Scripture, Jesus Christ. So the cosmic re recapitulation. And here I think, I always think there's a lot of relationship between Irenaeus and the Gospel of John. You know, John talks about a kind of recreation. It is cosmic, but it's focused on humankind. He, this is a quote. But in every respect, too, he is man, the formation of God, and thus he took up man into himself, the invisible becoming visible, the incomprehensible becoming comprehensible, the impassable becoming capable of suffering, and the word being made man, thus summing up all things in himself. This is a literary technique. Oh, yeah, but this is an economy of salvation. And in the same way that Scripture is recapitulated in him, so too all things are summed up and recapitulated. So once we say recapitulation, we've said, as Bear puts it, the recapitulation of the whole economy unfolded in Scripture, the subject throughout which is the gospel of Christ. What's the Bible about? You know, what's this subject? Well, it's the gospel. And so this is Bear in a concise epitome, it makes visible and comprehensible what had previously been hidden in the prolixity, prolixity, or the abundance of the, the words of the law. It's a subtle point, but I think it's a point we're going to drift away from. I think we're going to lose how to read the Bible. But this summing up, according to Irenaeus, commenced afresh, this is a quote, a lo the long line of human beings. The brief, I'm just using synonyms, the compendium the resume furnished salvation, so that what we had lost in Adam, namely to be according to the image and likeness of God, let's come back to that because uh, Irenaeus means something very specific by that, that we might recover in Christ Jesus. He doesn't think that the image and likeness are necessarily completed apart from Christ. There is an image and likeness in Adam that can only be completed in Christ sin or no sin. So as Bear sums it up, recapitulating in himself the exposition of the economy, 
Jesus Christ furnishes us with salvation through a resume, an epitome, which condenses or concentrates, and so makes visible and comp comprehensible that which would have been, or that which otherwise was invisible and incomprehensible. And so I, I think this is a key point, that the literary recapitulation, and we've been talking about this all the time, talking about the rule of faith. No, I, I just had a question. So so if, if uh, Christ and the gospel is a recapitulation of all that has come before, you know, in scripture, then would it, then, you know, and I think Bear says a few times that, that Irenaeus said there's nothing, the only new thing is Christ himself, the presence of Christ himself. You know, the, the, everything else is, is present in the, the scriptures, but, you know, in a hidden form. So then, if that was the case, would, would Irenaeus say that salvation was possible for those who came before, uh, who, who were familiar with the scriptures? Or is it just very difficult because the message was, was hidden? I think he would say that, that in Christ, salvation was, a, was possible. You theoretically could know Christ through the, the scriptures. It was possible, but, but because it was hidden, it would be difficult. Matt, how would you answer Drew's question? I would say that I wouldn't think that Irenaeus would think of salvation as we do, and that I have faith in Christ. He thinks of salvation as God becoming man and healing all of humanity. I think he's thinking that what happens on the cross happens, I won't say, happens to all people at all times. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that gets it. Even when he's talking about salvation, that it is a corporate, cosmic salvation. It doesn't mean that everybody's automatically saved, but it is universal. It is universal in terms of time, in terms of all people, that all people are incorporated in that sense, that there is this incorporation into Christ. And that's the fulfillment of the second act. He certainly doesn't mean uh, what we might mean by universal salvation. Uh, one of the things that you know, I noticed uh, a lot of my students struggle whenever I'm teaching First uh, Corinthians is on you know chapter 15 where where he says that you know he that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures and then he was buried and and then he was raised on the third day according to scriptures and so I always ask the question well which scriptures say that Jesus is going to resurrect on the third day <laughs> and that is a struggle because it's like well there are no verses that like explicitly would say you know something like that uh, and then with Timothy also, you know, Paul tells him to spend time in the scriptures and through the scriptures, he, ma he makes sure he's, he's saved, but he also somehow saves those who listens to, to him. And of course, the scriptures that he has available, it's the Old Testament. It's not, there's no New Testament yet. And so I think recapitulation is definitely helpful to understand those two things, because then you, you can see Christ in all of the scripture. And then now you can see how all those verses apply somehow to uh, you know what we're talking about right now. That this hermeneutic key opens up how scriptures 
saved. Because of course, the text is not what saves us, but it's the person whom the text is talking about. That's and, it. That's it. So all the the scriptures that talked about Christ, they're not written yet by the time <laughs> that uh, Paul is talking about, you know, in First Corinthians fifteen. But he, but Christ is the Word, and everything that has happened. Of course, he was veiled. But everything in the Old Testament is already talking about him. So everything's about him. Everything that happened to Jesus was according to scriptures. That, that was good. kind of the point that I was seeing, when, you know, with the struggle with, with some of my students that recapitulation would definitely help as a key to understand uh, complicated verses like these. And we just have to throw out historical critical, I mean, as a way of reading. I don't mean that, oh, there's not value in it. But as a way of understanding Scripture in the way that Irenaeus is talking about, the historical critical method, the history is the thing. What Irenaeus is saying, and I think Irenaeus, I don't, I don't I think just call it a gospel reading, a Christian reading of Scripture, as Matt said last time. He's very careful in describing this. But what is Scripture about? Well, it's about Christ. And even that's not saying it strong enough. It's not just about Christ. It's that's where you encounter Christ. Uh, that's where in and through which you have the presence of God in Christ in your life. Origen says that it is Christ. Yeah, that they're going to talk about the incarnation continued in the church and continued in Scripture. So right. at one level, people might say, "Oh, you, you, these guys have a low view of Scripture." No, I think we're the ones with the low view in attack, even with the biblical inerrancy and all that, I think that's just a total misunderstanding of how Christ comes to us in Scripture. <laughs> the Scripture is about Christ, and he's there, and, and the gospel is there. But of course, the gospel cannot, as, as Alan's describing it, it is also then this interpretive key. It is this recapitulation, so that we cannot read it literally not that we will do away with the literal but we're reading it in a in a, a gospel mode and that's what recapitulation is as a hermeneutic so it is an unveiling right i mean that blew my mind whenever i read that in origin when he said that uh you know that christ is incarnate in the word because he is the word i mean that was like a mind-blowing revelation yeah the word that is christ cannot be separated from scripture and we and meet him there we and Bear will even talk about the pre-existent Christ as the Christ of Scripture. He doesn't mean some vague logos. He means the Christ you meet in Scripture. Sorry, maybe I'm, I'm looking this through too much of a historical lens. Um, but I'm thinking about, you know, the death and resurrection as Christ, of Christ as the recapitulation, which accomplishes both, has both a, a hermeneutic function in terms of, you know, unveiling the scriptural uh, scripture, but also a salvific one as well. So could we then say that the, the salvific effect would be effective across time, but the hermeneutic effect would only be available to those who were able to receive the good news. So those, you know, post the event in time, or should I just lose the whole time axis here? I mean, I think that's generally correct. I mean, Bear talks about how, you know, even the disciples didn't know, couldn't answer the question, um, at least for very long, who do you say that I am, until after the resurrection, 
and um, taking Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, after Christ himself opens up the scripture to show that it was about him the whole time. So it's certainly true to say that, I think it's certainly true to say that as far as it being a hermeneutic, it is something that occurs and is opened up and is available to us starting at a particular point in time. I guess the only slippage I would put in there is that they're also, you're also going to talk about how like Elijah, when the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, well, that's Jesus Christ mm. and, and Elijah. And so the same thing right. is happening to Elijah in second or first Kings when the Lord, of the, uh, when the word of the Lord comes to him is the same thing that's happening to Elijah on Mount Tabor during the transfiguration. Whether or not Elijah knows the same thing or not, I don't know. But um, for, for the church, it only becomes available to us when Christ opens the scriptures for us. Mm, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's good. That's good, Matt. Origin, not to, not to keep be, you know, bringing up Origin, but it, it, it just reminded me of he does the whole thing with that where whenever Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration is talking with Elijah and Moses, that there's we're peering into a sort of mystery where we're seeing what was already happening back then with Moses and Elijah talking with Christ, that that conversation is just sort of continuing. We're just seeing it from our perspective. It's kind of a mystical way of understanding time according to origin in the scriptures. One of my favorite writers, uh, Karen Armstrong, has this quote about uh, what she describes as myth is an event that in some sense happened once, but which also happens all the time. So we could say that the events in the Old Testament were just the, the encounters with the death and crucifixion of Christ in other, in other ways. Good. The, the way that Irenaeus is going to call scripture myth apart from Christ. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. Just, just a different usage. As Matt's describing, there's a sense, you know, that the problems that we have, he he didn't have in the he when he's saying recapitulate, you know, first of all, his picture of uh, the likeness of the soul of man is even there that get the breath of God given to human beings is still God's breath. It's still the Holy Spirit. You you get a vivification you get uh the place of life in the the person only comes to its fullness in christ and so there is the the picture of a kind of immature man coming to maturity not that there's a complete break in human experience but there is, that it's all on a continuum the continue there's a continuum between the first adam and the second adam because the second adam was always the one that was at work in and through the first Adam. Let me state this negatively. I'll state it positively and I'll state it negatively. So that my key point or Bear's key point or Irenaeus's key point, the literary recapitulation in which the apostolic preaching sums up scripture cannot be separated from the entire economy of salvation brought about in Jesus Christ. And then let me state it negatively where Christ is not the lens through which Scripture is interpreted, the economy of salvation cannot be properly grasped. Is that too much? In other words, I don't think this is just Irenaeus. I think this is the apostles. I think this is the early church. This is Irenaeus is just summing up what he's received. If you're not reading Scripture in the way that Irenaeus is talking about, 
you haven't gotten a correct understanding of the economy of salvation. Maybe it's not even scripture yet. It's certainly not the fullness of salvation as Irenaeus will understand it. And you can't have that apart from yeah, the fullness of scripture. So so in John, when when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, there could be another way of saying you need to have Christ as the lens. Yeah, yeah. Our heretic friends do us a big favor because they're really causing the early Christians to, the, the thing that they're dealing with is that the, the church is a very flexible group of people, and so that some people will talk about Christianities. Now, this isn't to say, and so the who's doing the dividing are the heretics. The heretics are dividing, you know, Marcion's starting his own church, and so too the other heretics. They're dividing themselves. And so I, I think that's uh, an important understanding that, as we stated it previously, that what is most destructive to the church are the people joining the church. I mean, is that ever more true? <laughs> and so what they're trying to do is shape these people. They're not trying to kick anybody out, or they're just trying to say, well, this is the way that we think. You know, this is the way that we think as Christians. It is a shift. I mean, that's the whole point of Christianity. It's a shift in logic. It's a shift in worldviews. There's no way to get to the gospel apart from the gospel. You have to enter into this world, and I think that's what we're, we're seeing. And so the Marcionites, you know, the Gnostics, the heretics, they're, they're examples of what human thinking would do with all this. And to see how they're wrong, I think we can find ourselves. Irenaeus poses the choice. He says, shall it be he whom the Marcionites or the others have invented as God, he says, who is not God at all? Or shall it be what is really the case, the maker of heaven and earth, whom also the prophets claim, whom Christ too confesses as his father, whom also the law announces, saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He's taking this Old Testament scripture and then he's going to he's going to go right into a quotation from Christ in John. The writings of Moses, he says, and this was in Bear, are the words of Christ. Jesus in John says, if you have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, neither will you believe my words. Irenaeus extends, the, in other words, this includes all the prophets, all the law. And so if this is the case, he says, in regard to Moses, so also beyond a doubt, the words of the other prophets are his words, as I have pointed out. And again, the Lord himself exhibits Abraham as having said to the rich man, with reference to all those who are still alive, if they do not obey Moses and the prophets, <clears throat> neither if anyone were to rise from the dead and go to them, will they believe him. And so in a, in a sense, it's all there. It's, I don't know if you want to talk about it in a prefigured form, but the relation between gospel and scripture, first of all, it's not focused on history, it's focused on Christ, and Christ is always introduced, even, I think, under the veil. But the point of the Old Testament, it's not simply prophetic, it's not simply predictive, but it is uh, the crucified and risen Christ is the subject of scripture revealed in the gospel. And so the way that Marcion does this, actually, you know, the way that I think 
Christians today, uh, this is the problem they always have. Well, the God of the Old Testament seems so different than the God of, you know, who's the father of Christ. And so Marcion just says, well, there's two covenants, there's two testaments, there's two gods. Uh, and there's the new covenant, there's the new testament, and there's the new God. There's the old and covenant, the old God. But for Irenaeus, there is nothing new in the gospel. I thought that was an interesting phrase. That's right out of Irenaeus. The only thing that's new, I think Drew said this, the only thing new is the is Christ, but the gospel economy is the singular economy, the singular revelation, the singular God revealed in Scripture. And so Irenaeus exhorts Marcy, and he says, read with earnest care that gospel which has been given to us by the apostles, and read with earnest care the prophets saying the same thing, and you will find that the whole conduct and all the doctrine and all the sufferings of our Lord were predicted through him, were predicted through them. Read the Bible, Marcion, and you'll find Christ, is what he said. And unfortunately, I'm afraid we don't read the, 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 the scripture that way. So Irenaeus acknowledges there, there are a variety of figures, there are a variety of dispensations, last thing, but it all centers on Christ and the gospel. There is not a variety, there's only one age, really. There's not an age before and after Christ. But Christ recapitulates everything. Let, this is a fairly long quote, but I think it's worthwhile. First of all, uh, Irenaeus gets a little, you may think this a little strange. He said, I don't, I don't quite, maybe one of you have, have more understanding of the false teaching, the Gnostics here. The Gnostics are saying, oh, Christ, you know, he started preaching when he was 30, and it only lasted a, a year. And then on that basis, they're judging all the ages, the eons. Has anybody gone into that, what they were, what they were doing with that? Irenaeus is countering this in a kind of odd way. He says, well, actually, Jesus didn't die in his 30s. He died in his 50s, using this as an argument that he encompasses all the age. And the reason he's saying this in, in a Jewish understanding, you know, it's really in your 50s that you're an adult, that you're a master. Here's the quote. Being a master, therefore, he also possessed the age of a master not despising or evading any condition of humanity, nor setting aside in himself the law which he had, had appointed for the human race, but sanctifying every age by that period corresponding to it which belonged to himself. For he came to save all through means of himself. All, I say, who through him are born again to God, infants and children and boys and youths and old men. He therefore passed through every age. And as I understand, he's using the age here with a double valence, becoming an infant for infants, sanctifying infants, a child for children, thus sanctifying those who are of this age, being at the same time made to them an example of piety, righteousness, and submission. A youth for youth, becoming an example to use, and thus sanctifying them for the world. So likewise, he was an old man for old men. In other words, he thinks he lived in, uh, into his 50s. That he might be a perfect master for all, not merely as respects the setting forth of the truth, 
but also as regards age, sanctifying at the same time the aged also, and becoming an example to them likewise. Then at last he came on death itself, that he might be firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And then he quote, you know, he references Colossians 1.18, Acts 3.15. Existing before all and going before all. There is this the summation of all of human history, all of the human condition in Christ. Let me do one more thing, and this is straight out of bear, and I really like this part, that Irenaeus talks about Christ inseminating himself into Scripture. For Irenaeus, the one who is sown is Christ, and he is inseminated in Scripture. He develops this idea where it, he says it continues in uh, he says, Irenaeus comments on the words of Christ that Moses wrote about me, and then, quote, no doubt because the Son of God is implanted everywhere throughout his writings at one time, indeed, speaking with Abraham, at another time with Noah, giving him the dimensions of the ark, at another time inquiring after Adam, at another time bringing down judgment upon the Sodomites. And again, when he becomes visible and directs Jacob on his journey and speaks with Moses from the bush, the occasions are innumerable in which the Son of God is shown forth by Moses. Christ is there. He's speaking in the Old Testament. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.